everybody. I'm Nick Caruso, and this is the Gear Patrol podcast for Friday, August 27th, 2021. Uh, we're discussing Elon Musk's Tesla robot announcement, the first age expression of Jack Daniels whiskey in over a century, and how to be an informed consumer in the face of hugely increased marketing that you might be seeing on popular social media platforms like Instagram and TikTok if you're younger than me and hipper than me. Um, speaking of, with me is Platforms Editor J.D. Giovanni. Hello, hey, J.D. Hey. And Henry Phillips. You are our... Oh, J.D., I didn't say that you are Platforms Editor. Henry sure Phillips, you, you are... Did I? Oh, yeah. Oh. Didn't you? Jeez, I don't know. Well, now everybody's losing it. I definitely <laughs> know. Now we all know. And Henry Phillips, I know your title, and I will say it now. It's Deputy Photography Editor. It's Mr. Deputy to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, of these, one of these weeks, I'm going to get through introductions without screwing something up. It's going to be great. I know both of you personally, so it shouldn't be a problem, but it always is. Uh, anyway, it is already the end of August, if you can believe it, and we have plenty to discuss. So let's get started. First up got a fun one. Uh, if Elon Musk's announcement uh, late last week is to be believed, by next year, Elon will no longer be the only Tesla robot. Is that a good joke? Nope. That's just Craig. We should add crickets. Okay. Uh, <laughs> at Tesla's AI day, which AI, you know, in this case stands for artificial intelligence, Elon Musk unveiled his latest outlandish product, which is a humanoid robot that supposedly runs on the same software that operates Tesla's autonomous driving uh, technology. Uh, so during this sort of increasingly eccentric presentation, he shared renderings of the Tesla robot and just a few details like uh, the robot will be five uh, feet, eight inches tall. It'll have an informational display in its face. It'll be built from lightweight materials and weigh no more than 125 pounds and, quote, have human-level hands. I'm sure what that means, unquote. Uh, he also said that, quote, it's intended to be friendly and navigate through a world built for humans, end quote, and reassured everyone, this is my favorite part, I think, reassured everyone watching that they could both outrun and overpower it. Um, then this person wearing a Tesla bot costume came out and danced for a long time. It was a very strange way to end. Uh, but JD, I know you were sort of tickled by this announcement. Uh, we went back and forth a little bit by it. So I want to know your reaction, but also like if we take this as real news, how do you see this kind of product, this sort of like service robot, not necessarily from Tesla, integrating into daily life and how soon? Yeah, I mean, as far as how soon, I mean, I have... I have no clue. Uh, but, <laughs> but like, I mean, and if, if we're to Tesla is so famous for just saying next year we'll have fully autonomous driving, right. Or next year yeah. we'll have this, that, or the other thing. And it just doesn't really come through. And, and honestly, for a while I was, I'd get pretty annoyed by Tesla press. Um, cause it was just often just like these outlandish statements that kind of on its, on the surface seem not to, you know, get just like not to be even close to feasible. Um, but I just the more I've learned about the company and, and the more that this stuff has been happening, just like there's always something. Um, 
the more I've kind of just come to understand that this is a very cheap way of getting marketing. Um, you know, yeah. Tesla pretty famously doesn't have a press or like a PR department. They don't have an ad budget. And, you know, their executive team, Elon Musk in particular, just kind of stirs the pot um, and gets a big reaction from the press because he's pretty out there with what he's doing. Um, and it, it, you know, just generates a bunch of press. And, you know, then here we are talking about Tesla being on the forefront of what seems like a very exciting and cutting edge technology, albeit probably not feasible. And that's probably pretty, it's probably pretty good for their brand when you think about it. You know, just like it's, you're putting Tesla up against, you know, next to, or like aligning it with something that is on the kind of edge. Um, so I, I, I don't know, I guess I'm just at this point getting a little bemused uh, where it's like, okay, that's funny. Like, I'm not going to take this to be serious at all. And, and I, I'd be hard pressed to believe that Elon Musk and the people at Tesla who are fighting quite a big fight <laughs> with a bunch of other automakers are in any way serious about taking on something like this ambitious. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. The, it sort of reminds me, like, I know that it's, they're, they're engineered stunts in a lot of ways, but I also am a hundred percent confident that a big part of it is that, these are things that Elon Musk actually wants to do. And because mm. he's the most powerful, you know, richest man in the world or close to it, he gets to talk about them. And then people are like, okay, I guess that's pretty good press. But it reminds me of the a quote from the movie Young Frankenstein, where he talks about the raving, the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I always think about that when this when this guy comes up with a new story. Henry, what do you think? You want a robot yeah. from Tesla? I mean, sure. I uh, you know I I think I, I share a similar view of um, Elon Musk as as perhaps many in the the kind of the Gear Patrol universe. Um, but it's my sense is just. You know, I wonder if there's anything misleading or nefarious about it. You know, I think a lot of publications. Um, took the angle of this is uh, a sideshow to distract from troubles to boost share prices and, and create kind of distracting hype to maybe avoid people talking about how Tesla's that drive themselves tend to crash into stuff and uh, they don't really, you know, full self-driving is, is years away. But um but yeah, I the more I think about it, the more I read about it, the more this happens. You wonder if it's just Elon Musk, you know, coming down to the R and D guys who probably try and keep a locked door, um, and saying, you know, hey, we've got this event coming up in like five months. Like, how long do you think realistically did test did the whole Tesla bot idea take between conception and and on stage persona. I mean, it was a, it was a PowerPoint presentation, you know, with some some renderings yeah. in it. So how long would it take you to mock that up? Yeah, you turn around those renderings in like three weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, was was the Tesla bot even remotely conceived by you know in in May? I really don't no. know. No, uh, no. And so you know, my sense is like Elon Musk is just doing his thing and has a, a hugely valuable company to play around with and figures why not. Um, at least that's my, 
my maybe optimistic take about the whole thing. But, you know, of course, there's no way you get to whatever it is, three quarters of a billion dollars in market cap with Tesla um, by just saying you're going to make a pretty good car. Um, you know, he, he's building this thing like a tech company and it's got to just continue to grow and grow and find new avenues of of stuff. Um, and if it's, you know, 5A125 is just a weird little sidebar too. I, I distracted yeah. myself, but... Can- can we talk about that more actually? <laughs> so, so hold on. We're, we're all seem to be in agreement that this isn't really something that's, that's real. Um, and, and the specs. So I, I, I saw this on, on Twitter, so I can't take credit for this kind of idea here, but I, it, it was, it is worth maybe highlighting. If you're just making stuff up, like why build such a beta robot? <laughs> like it talked about how like, it can deadlift 150 pounds. It's like, come on, dude. Like, give me a robot that can deadlift more than me. Like, I want <laughs> I want a Chad robot who can deadlift a bunch. 5'8, get out of here. Like, if my robot is gonna be on a dating profile, he's gonna he's gonna lie and see his six foot. So might as well just like make him at least six foot two. Um and uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, even even like looking at these specs and like not just trying to joke around, but could this even get me groceries like in Brooklyn? Like, could it walk down my four flights of stairs and then like the two and a half blocks to go carry back a bunch of freaking groceries from the store? Like, I don't know. I break out in a sweat when I'm doing that stuff. It's like not pleasant. (laughs) And if my robot can't make that easier for me, then I don't know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm unimpressed. I want a robot that can kick my ass. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like this is this is like a it would be like in typical fashion you can download uh upgrades later and have like you know like seek and destroy mode or something <laughs> unlocks <laughs> unlocks five times the power and can crush your skull with the you know, snap of its fingers and of its of its human level hands um but that was kind of my question too like taking if you take this very seriously that this thing is going to exist it with these specs um what can it actually do in my life like i have a small apartment where does it sleep (laughs) is it just gonna be carrying my laundry like well i don't lift things in my apartment all that much um so i'm use case in a city maybe not that uh that strong Henry, you need a robot. I'm over sure. There? I'm sure you could find uses for them. I don't know what robotic pronouns are, but um, but yeah, why not? You know, play half court basketball, uh, dog walking. They could. I don't know laundry. I love the idea of laundry. It's four flights down. Uh, yeah. I don't want to do that. Easily would pay fifty to sixty thousand dollars for that. Um, no, I have court. No, it's it's outrageously foolish. Um, yeah. But there are other there are other we call these kind of like service robots or personal robots or whatever. There are some that are in existence already, and there are uh, others sort of on the horizon. You know, we there's not even need to to really cite all of them, uh, insofar as to say that there are. Those that take care of uh, sort of like care robots for the elderly or homebound or people who just need a little extra help. There are like the, I guess, emotional support 
robots in a way. They're like little animals. I think there are monkeys and I know there's a dog. Um, and then there are also the terrifying kinds of robots from Boston Dynamics that actually could kick your ass, JD. So maybe that's the one you Yeah, I, I mess with those ones. Yeah, those, those, uh, if you're doing flips and stuff off boxes, I'm, I'm here for it. But yeah, the no, rope, that, that but yeah. Robo parkour video is terrifying. I love it. I, the thing, the thing with all these service robots though, is just that like humans kick ass, um, in general and that like, we're so good at doing so many of the things that for a robot to be anywhere near worth it. Cause like, yeah, there, there's a lot of costs involved in having another like human sized thing. Right. Just especially in a place like New York where you like have housing density, like crazy. Um, it, it has to really be worth it. And, and it's just like, it feels so far away in the same way that, um, you know, fully automated driving feels very far away because it's just, mm-hmm. we are so very good <laughs> at just assessing risk and like, and, and managing a bunch of different things at the same time. Um, you know, I, I guess even as I'm saying that you could argue that actually we're not given how many auto fatalities there are, but I mean, just like comparatively, it's, it's, um, it's, it's really hard to beat, uh, humans cause we're so on top of it. Yeah, we're the best. I agree. Humans are the best. I, I also think about like maintenance too. I can like I can barely wrap my head around how to replace something in my Jeep because I have to like pull under a B, the BQE and pull a you know a thirty five pound whatever under the thing and get dirty. Like I am I sending my robot in for maintenance? Is the Geek Squad coming to like solder something? I don't know. I don't know how. I don't, you just buy the new one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know either. But I, I really hope that they'll have the same kind of temperaments as like uh, cars from different parts of the world. I'm just like, oh god, yeah, I have a European <laughs> robot. He's just like, right. yeah, British. It's, it's yeah, just needs more tea, some like <laughs> Italian meats. He's just like calm it down. That's, I mean, who doesn't calm down with Italian meats? I was just watching Stanley Tucci pizza last night on. HBO. So you don't that want is, Italian meats right now. Italian meats are bad news bears, man. What do you mean? They're tainted. CDC at Twitter at CDC uh-huh. uh, or FDA. One of those three letters um, saying avoid Italian meats right now. Okay. Well, I guess- actually, they're not saying avoid Italian meats. They're saying if you have Italian meats and desire to eat them, you should steam them. Oh, okay. <laughs> Your so steamed Italian only- meats. Let that be a warning to everybody. Only come near these guns after I've had a shower. (laughs) (laughs) Just some bicep Italian meat. You'd you'd starve in a second. Um, What I mean, are there any we kind of joked about it, but are there any actual applications for robots in like normal, maybe not walk up apartment New York City living? On the consumer side, it doesn't, I mean, it feels like the consumer side, like just general you and me would be maybe the last situation where it would actually be useful to have some sort of human shaped robot. Um, But I think there's tons of like, you know, applications for them and the kind of applications that actual robotics companies have been actually working on for like actual decades. Um, 
you know, in healthcare and in, in emergency response and things like that. Uh, not to mention war. Um, war seems yeah. to be the kind of primary driver for all of this. Um, but sure, I think, I think there's certainly use cases for something that um, you don't necessarily have to care if it gets hurt or can be stronger. But, you know, 5A150, like, well, things not going to do much. Are you suggesting you're not going to care for your robot companion? Not unless he gets his weight up. Do Android dream of electric <laughs> sheep? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think going back to your point, JD, it's like stunt, right? Vice actually says it's a, says Elon Musk's Tesla bot is a shit post was their, their <laughs> article title. Um, so big stunt there, but I do believe, you know, even though we're making a lot of fun of it and maybe being dubious about needs, um, at some point we're going to see technologies like this in the mainstream and around us a lot. I think we're going to have, yeah, going to need the help. We're going to be able to, you know, you know, make something robotic small enough to help us in our daily lives. Just like yeah. one, one of the, I shared a, uh, an article with you guys, like households adopting technologies over the last century, things like dishwashers, you know, like that's kind of like the robot of a certain era. So I don't know. Remains to be seen. JD, do you have a final word? Do you have any other clever quips about <laughs> beating the hell out of a robot? Uh, no, I, I guess I guess I would just say, you know, I, I agree. Like, I, I think they'll they'll end up in our lives. I just think that the more specific, in particular, the tasks that they're being asked to like perform, the more likely we'll actually see them integrated. I'm I'm, I'm thinking we're going to see more robots that just mow the lawn um, instead of, uh, or like just mop the floor and. In, instead of just like a robot that can use your lawnmower and mop your floor, you know? Right. Yeah, that's a great call. Yeah. Uh, well, Elon, if you're listening, and I know you're not, there's some good <laughs> advice for you. Uh, okay, let's move on. Next story is good news for Brown Booze fans. Uh, that's Jack Daniels' latest release. It is a 10-year Tennessee whiskey called appropriately Jack Daniels 10-year Tennessee whiskey, but it's very special because it's the brand's first age-stated whiskey in over a century, over a hundred years. And it's the first whiskey it has ever bottled at 97 proof, which is, you know, packs a wallop, as they say in the biz. Um, it's going to be, it's familiar. It's, it's the, the brand's classic old number seven, uh, it's just sort of been stored longer and cared for in a different way, but it's the same stuff. Uh, aged a few different years, a few additional years, excuse me. And it'll be available next month, September, for about 70 bucks. And Henry, I want to know if you're interested in a dram of 10-year Tennessee whiskey from Jack. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I find this super interesting. Um, I love it. Um you know, I'm not necessarily a massive Jack Daniels drinker or maybe an ever Jack Daniels drinker, but um, I don't know. Bourbon uh, whiskey and bourbon in particular always struck me as something that um, really big companies, uh, really big distilleries do very, very well uh, just because it requires a ton of infrastructure. Um, 
so that, you know, you, you get these big companies that can produce really excellent whiskey, um, just because they have the space, they have the R and D, um, craft whiskey while, you know, ever present hasn't really done much, certainly not to the same extent as like craft beer or something. Um, so you get these big guys, um, these really big guys like Jack Daniels, uh, or even, you know, wild Turkey is another one that always comes to mind. Um, and they make this phenomenal, you know, they have the capability of making great whiskey. Um, and it's really just a matter of doing it, uh, and seeing the market for it. Um, and our, I mean, our home writer or our food and drinks editor, I don't know what his title is. He does a lot of, a lot of stuff. Uh, he's our, he's our like robot. He's our yeah, multifunction he, he just, robot. And he's, I was going to make a joke about his size. He's, 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 he's much stronger. Um, but he won't shut up about uh, Jack Daniel's single barrel, single barrel, barrel proof, um, right. which is one of their kind of great high end offerings um, before the introduction of this new one. Um, and he loves it. Uh, so, so I, I'm, I'm excited to see it and I'm excited to try it. And it seems a little expensive, but we'll find out. Yeah, I'm eager to try Uh I don't know, 70 bucks. I mean, you're never going to find it for 70 bucks. I feel like this is probably one of those that will also talks about this quite a bit. You know, the prices of, of booze, uh, vary drastically, uh, depending on time and hype and location. JD, what's your, what's your, uh, take here? Yeah, I, I, I tried that single barrel barrel proof, um, earlier this year. I think after hearing about it from Will and, and I was at a friend's place and, and he had a bottle and, Tasted really damn good. Um, I am not like the most astute whiskey drinker, um, but you know, it, it, it was one of those things that really did stand out to me as being unique, and and it was cool to have it from a brand that you know I'm I'm well familiar with Jack Daniels as as a kind of distiller, but just I've never gone to them looking for something that like interesting, you know. It's like that's more of something like I want something with Coke, um, and like let's just mix that together. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm genuinely interested. I, I think if I see this in my like neighborhood um, uh, shop, then I'll definitely pick it up. Because uh, yeah, that single barrel barrel proof had like these really crazy banana notes, which are from what I understand like a, a kind of mark of of Jack Daniels uh, in general. But it, it was it was really something kind of unique. So. Yeah, I think I think it's kind of exciting to see and, and just exciting to see in general like a bigger company with a very like time tested product um, using that uh, infrastructure and know how to like do something that is just a bit more, you know, like considered. I guess is is maybe not the word that they would use, but um, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, it's more refined. I think a sophisticated yeah. kind of offering. Um, and I another. Uh, article I shared with you guys is kind of about that idea of brands going up market. And it, it sort of made me think like what it, what it means for a brand to make a move kind of like this. Cause it's, it's not just that it's a big brand just sort of, you know, uh, dipping their uh, bottles. I don't know in the trend. I don't know what metaphor I'm going for, but um they're doing a big thing. This is a big shift for them as a hundred years have gone by since they've done anything like this. And, um, you know, most people drinking now have therefore never seen this. So they've always known Jack as this really simple, 
um, sort of like go to affordable whiskey brand and now going up market. So that's all to say, is this kind of a brand shift or does this feel like more of a product offering? That's, that's why I haven't been able to sort of suss out of this discourse. I, th- I think it can be both. Um, I, I think that like, I, I was, I was trying to parse through this in my head before we got on today about, okay, what are brands that have a kind of more mass market offering and then also have within that brand, something that is a bit more, um, yeah, like refined or, or is for a smaller and more like discerning market. And, you know, I, mostly the examples that came to mind were, were not in alcohol, um, or even I couldn't think of too many like consumer packaged goods, but uh, a lot in fashion. You know, I think the mm-hmm. Levi's, Levi's is, you know, you can just get your 501s anywhere, but they also have like Levi's vintage or or kind of like more bespoke kind of labels within Levi's or Arcteryx, for instance, is this like outdoor gear brand, but they have Arcteryx Valence, which is this very like fashion-y tech wear kind of thing. So I, I think, I think it's, it's, there's definitely precedent to this being done. Um, and when you think too about the fact that, you know, Jack Daniels made the call to do this shift like 20 years ago, because <laughs> that's how long it takes for this stuff to get made. I mean, cause when you're talking about aging, aging whiskey, I mean, it, it's, it's really like you have to put that time in. So it, it's, I'd be quite surprised if they didn't kind of follow through on the execution or make it feel, um, or make it feel some, you know, weird in, in, in any way or kind of like a, a separate or like a kind of uh, not coherent with their brand. Because um, they've certainly had enough time to think about how <laughs> they'd want to roll it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is this is their Tesla bot. Uh, Henry, what are you grinning about? I feel like you had a no, I, start something. I mean, I, they're in a tough... It's it's interesting to see where they came at it or the, where they came in at with the product though because it's... 10 years old and about $70. I'm actually fairly confident that you'll be able to find it with some regularity just based on the size uh, of Jack Daniels. Uh, Hopefully they're making a decent amount of this stuff. Um, But I'm curious, you know, how it, uh, I think it's another good sign for for consumers because it's going to have to be really good. Um, There's so much competition at that kind of $70 price point that maybe you wouldn't inherently choose a Jack Daniels product. Um, you know, you'd go for something a little bit more niche or whatever. Um, so that's always the good sign to me is, is it's, you know, Nick, you put in, in the show notes uh, about Genesis, the car company. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's a classic example, I think, of this car maker that realizes they have to, or this company that realizes they have to overperform at a given price or whatever. Um and create something that is really, really, truly, um, deeply appealing um, in a way that benefits consumers uh, and whiskey drinkers and luxury car drivers. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, I, hate, I really kind of do hate to use the word disruptor everywhere or all anywhere ever. But um, that is kind of what we're talking about here is that it's it, even if it's like a little uh, uh, just a little seismic disruption in the sector or even like we're talking about within their own brand uh, seems like a significant move, particularly from a brand. Like we said, this is not 
an expensive brand by any means. This this is you know more affordable than most. Uh, it's been a go to for that reason for a long time, and it's also known for these these like flavored whiskeys and sort of lowbrow offerings. Um, so it's interesting to watch them balance the scales with with something like this, and I'm I am really interested um, personally. I I tried to do Jack when I was like a, you know, a young man out on the town with, you know, for money issues, but also because I know like Frank Sinatra drank Jack and I just couldn't do it. I don't know. It wasn't for me, <laughs> but um, maybe this is it. Maybe they finally got me now that I'm an, an old man with, with money issues. Uh, JD, I, I'm surprised you're making me say it, but do you want to talk about your, you know, your personal relationship with Jack Daniels and your, Oh yeah. I mean, my beef with Jack Daniels is essentially 29 years uh, in the <laughs> making. Um, yeah. I, I just, I, my, my name is JD. It's, it's an initial. So it, it, people always like to guess what that means, um, which is, it's kind of amazing how unimaginative everyone is. Um, Cause it's, it's really, it's, it's JD from scrubs or it's, um, John, <laughs> J- or it's or it's John Daniels, which is a, a kind of odd, oddly frequent uh, one, and then probably the most frequent was just oh, like Jack Daniels, and it's, the answer is no. Um, and uh, I would like to, I would like to, <laughs> I would like to claim a kind of like I was there first, but like I obviously wasn't. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think I have more to offer, um, even though I do like Jack Daniels. So. Um, I don't know. Well, I, I, I I won't hold it against them too much. I, I like their whiskey. I'm I'm looking forward to this release. Um, in the barrel, uh, Jack Daniel's barrel barrel proof. What was that called again? I'm trying to think. Barrel uh, barrel, double barrel, first barrel. Oh, si- uh, the single barrel barrel single proof. Barrel. Yeah. So, yeah, just terrible name. Um, but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they can get that that stuff sorted out for the future releases. Yeah, for sure. Maybe the ten year is something that'll finally make you proud of your name. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, It remains to be seen. Uh, Next month is your chance. Uh, Okay, well, let's move on to story three, the last of today's ep, pod ep. Uh, We're discussing a melange of uh, several stories, actually. They're all, you know, very much related. Um related to this sort of still burgeoning confluence of social media and commerce. Um, so here are a few of the, the main takeaways from a lot of these pieces. The first is that TikTok, uh, the video doom scrolling app, uh, has added in-app shopping, which capitalizes on this sort of trend of products going viral on its platform. People go nuts over products. They buy stuff they see there for influencers. Um, Instagram is testing ads in its Instagram shops tab, uh, which launched during the pandemic, as we all probably remember, and Instagram profiles, as our uh, uh, gear writer, uh, Evan Malakoski wrote about just last week, I think, uh, Instagram profiles are recently, Instagram profiles are turning their sort of mood board um, curations into real life product collaborations with big brands. We're also seeing reports of this 
newish phenomenon in the States, at least, called live stream shopping, which is basically sort of QVC meets video content and streams live on platforms like Facebook. And then there's a you know sort of tangential to this is this niche trend. Found this this really neat uh, article from from The Verge on this niche trend of design studios creating sort of subversive products like rubber chicken marijuana pipes <laughs> uh, with the sole purpose of going viral um, and of course sell out. So anyway. Gear Patrol prides itself on you know, examining product culture and being steeped in it and keeping our fans and listeners and readers informed of it. So how do you guys see us tackling this sort of viral evolution of commerce um, as we see it on, on social media, sort of like this new frontier? JD, you want to run with this? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's it's a really interesting question. And I think that not one that anyone had, any one person had maybe a, a total grasp on just because you know, the pace of media and social media is, it's pretty, it's pretty crisp. Like it's people are, you know, these platforms are, are growing and changing uh, constantly. Um, and I mean, TikTok was not something we would talk about all that seriously, um, you know, up until like, I think, really late last year and early earlier this yeah. year. Um, yeah. And so it, it's really, I think, just what what folks should keep in mind in general is just that products and enthusiasm about products um, is just going to follow wherever the people go. Um, it's going to be on TikTok. It's going to be on Instagram. It's going to be kind of all over the place and the next thing. Um, because that's just so long as, you know, we're anywhere sharing our interests about um, kind of anything going on in our lives, we're also going to be kind of doing the adult version of show and tell about check out this eyeliner, check out this car, check out, you know, these, these, these shots I took with my camera, by the way, check out the camera, you know, it's just, it's just, mm. you know, we, we have a kind of thing where we do cathexis where we just imbue a lot of importance and meaning into uh, physical objects. Um, it's almost like we are like our little horcruxes and they're parts of ourselves and, and we want to share them kind of, and connect with people about it. And, and so long as those venues are kind of available to people, they'll, they'll continue to do that. And then too, you know, so long as there are companies that are looking to sell products and to kind of engage with that culture, um, they're going to be on these platforms and trying to find ways to utilize them, um, yeah, either through kind of organic viral um, content or, or from just paying up um, to, to, to folks like Instagram or, or TikTok. So um, I don't know how coherent that is exactly, but uh, that's just my read on this stuff is that really uh, it's interesting to like figure out the permutations of any one platform and like what's unique or different about it. But if you zoom out far enough, it's all the same. I mean, in terms of just like what's going on, um, uh, the commerce follows the people, um, where the people are, what they're reading. So, Yeah. For sure, what they're scrolling, um, yeah, this this is inevitable, right? And it, I mean, it is my typically cynical take. Of course, is that like social media was fun for a little while, purely, and it is sort of inevitable that you know capitalism comes in and, and takes things that are fun and, and sort of like takes advantage of that. And uh, 
we're seeing that effect and we're going to have to follow that trend ourselves as product culture people. Henry, you're our economist. Is that true up with as, what you as know? resident resident economist? Um, I'll refer all you know charts and graphs in the show notes. Um, no, I mean it's it's really interesting and it's it's a new challenge for um, for brands like us for for sites and publications that uh, that try and focus on sussing out really quality products from from perhaps non um, and the idea of of fairly efficient or very efficient um, fairly inexpensive very targeted marketing um, means that you know you're gonna get a lot of ads for products that are exactly what you want or theoretically are um, <laughs> and so it's it's an interesting challenge to to kind of see what does a, a product recommendation publication, um, you know, ours or someone else's do in the face of that? You know, people are are surely still making buying decisions and are consciously thinking about whether this product or that product meets their needs or does what they want it to do. Um, so it's almost as much just about existing and, you know, product publications, I guess, um, being available and topically relevant enough, um, that people can still feel like they're making good informed decisions. Um, and I think, you know, anecdotally, you're seeing a lot of that even now, um, a lot of sites, uh, and a lot of publications that are, that are focusing more on people coming into their sites and saying, or coming into Google and saying, I want to know what I want running shoes. I want, I have 15 minutes to decide what are the best running shoes or what is the best, whatever. Um, and I want to be fully informed and then I want to buy. Um, so I think there's this kind of on demand research that's always existed, but maybe it's easier now. Um, and so that's cool. And I think like, just like JD said, you know, this, this kind of marketing is, is maybe a faster paced version of what we've always seen, but the brands will follow where the people are. And yeah. I don't know. I, I'm yeah. I, I will say, I, I think that the thing that is kind of markedly different um, from what we've been seeing, seen in the past, just from my, my vantage point is like, we don't really have, I don't know. We don't really have a monoculture around products. And they would say we same way we used to, um, or really in any way in the United States, everything has become so atomized culturally, politically. Um, and I think in some ways it's a function of how our media works now, um, where all this stuff is based off of how can we target your specific interests to you and deliver those to you on a consistent basis. I mean, that's what these algorithms are all about is trying to increase the amount of time you spend on these apps. And so, you know, I, I think a good example of, like a good thought experiment for this is like, what would, what would the Furby, uh, like what would Furby be like right now? Like remember how, how crazy, um, hype that toy was. There were people yeah. like fighting outside of Toys R Us. It was a huge thing. And just like trying to think about that same thing happening in today's media environment, it would probably be <clears throat> a lot of parents being like, damn, like what the hell is this weird thing that like my kid is getting targeted ads for on the iPad, I'll let them use. And yeah. I don't think the rest of us would have the same kind of understanding of it as a cultural phenomenon. 
and so I think the challenge when you talk about like our challenges, like a publication is like, how do we stay in tune with a variety of different buckets of the culture that are separated and like really siloed from one another? Um, because I think something we're, we're very good at is, is, you know, providing and testing and uh, testing products and providing recommendations on, on what we think is the best and being clear about why. But, you know, I think, I think a challenge for any publication in, in now is just understanding, you know, especially if you're covering multiple product categories, it's like, all right, like what's going on in the very niche world of X, you know, like what is the hype thing in, 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 in Y? And it's just, it's harder to, you can't, especially when those things are just like flash in the pan often, um, it's, it's almost like harder to keep a, keep tabs on it. So that's, that's, I think when we're talking about challenges from like a consumer point of view and like getting good, um, recommendations and understandings as to like what's worth it and what's not, it's almost like, you know, you kind of have to rely on, on publications that are with it enough. And then also just on peers, um, you know, like there, when it comes down to whiskey, you know, like, like for instance, we were talking about Jack Daniels and like, yeah, talking about brand positioning, marketing, all this other stuff. But like at the end of the day, that community is so strong online that like, if it's not good, it won't sell, <laughs> you know? Because people will talk about it enough. They're enthusiasts. For sure. Um, First, I want to make a point that I think the Furby of today is probably the Tesla robot. And (laughs) the second second thing is, you know, you're both, and all three of us are talking about this sort of um, uh, speeding up of that funnel, which you call the sales funnel, which is kind of a gross term to, talk about like casually or um, just sort of the process of product discovery and vetting a product and then choosing a product, buying it. Um, That sort of speeding up is what we're talking about here. And JD, you're talking about things being siloed. Henry, you're talking about things being on demand, uh, the sort of product sussing. So is there a risk that it gets so quick. People get so trained to just like see something cool on their feed, be like, Oh, that does look cool. I believe what this says by skipping the middleman entirely skipping, whether it's their friend, the peer or gear patrol or wire cutter or whomever. Um, th- I mean, that's the, that's where my mind goes. Like eventually this, this just like becomes very efficient for oh, yeah. commerce. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, you've got it down here in these in our notes, but um, Kickstarter. Just just think of yeah. like, pick your Kickstarter project, the coolest cooler. Um, that thing, how many millions? Uh, you know, tens of thousands of people signed up to buy this beautifully marketed cooler that could do everything short of deadlift one hundred and fifty pounds, <laughs> and. Uh, and it didn't exist. It never existed and it never happened um, because it was exquisitely marketed and they made too much money and they didn't know what to do with it. Um, and, you know, as members of a publication and a company that kind of exists to tell people about products and and inform them about good ones or bad ones or, or those that kind of fall in between, um, it does, you know, it's, it's going to naturally feel a little self-serving to say that kind of thing has to exist or else 
you, you leave it up to the marketing departments and, uh, mm. and you know, people are inclined to take, I think, well marketed, well advertised products at their word. Uh, and I think there, there was definitely a wild Westy type period where things were maybe getting overhyped, um, and, or being allowed to get overhyped without a lot of check. Um, but totally, you know, the idea and, and all the whole purpose of Instagram shopping or, or TikTok click throughs, um, it's to make that buying process seamless. So if you see the coolest cooler on TikTok and you can tap two buttons, Apple pay, and it's, it's already gone. Um, then, you know, maybe you're inclined to skip that research step. Um, I, I would, I would bet money that you could go to any decade, um, since the industrial revolution and identify at least a couple products that were well-marketed, very hyped, although it definitely wasn't the term being used in the early 1900s. Um, and, uh, didn't, didn't live up to what was being kind of, um, said about it or to, to what people's expectations were. Um, heroin. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Coca-Cola with cocaine. Um, but no, look, look, I think that, I think that so long as there are marketers and there are people making products and, um, we're going to have stuff that is hyped and, and frankly just appeals to just strikes a note, hits the zeitgeist and people buy into more impulsively than they would something else. And I think that the same shopper who would really read up on like what the best running shoe is for them and like make a considered decision, you know, it, they can also be an impulsive shopper for something else, depending on the price range, depending on like who they are. And so I would just say like, I think this, this kind of idea about maybe the increased risk of uh, more impulsive shopping. And I don't know, I guess you could say that it's most nefarious. It's just like deceptive marketing or something. Mm-hmm. It is maybe, is maybe increased in the short term, if only because we're being appealed to in a new way on these, on these like new evolutions or new platforms entirely. But at the end of the day, I, I think this stuff is always a kind of like back and forth where something speeds up, you know, we, we kind of like maybe are a bit more gullible for like a year or so and then kind of even back out. Um, and I think that is, yeah, I think this is just another way for me to to say what I said at the top, which is I think a lot of this stuff is very much kind of the same, but different. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this is a really good point that, uh, I mean, that's evolution, right? Um, you just wait until your Tesla robot starts deadlifting cases of wonder tonic and then you're we're all screwed yeah um, i just want my uh, de- my tesla robot to teach me how to do a better hook grip so that's all <laughs> I want. There we go. yeah i feel like crossfit tesla robot like there's a thing there like there's an app for that um well it all remains to be seen a lot of this does in fact it's, we're all we're talking about a lot of future stuff today and um i'm gonna call it quits there thanks guys for for weighing in you got some good brains churning under those headphones. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, so, and also thank you listeners. I'm sure you're under headphones or have ears around earbuds or something. I really appreciate you sticking, uh, through this convo and through all the others. We love to uh, hear from you and have you on the other line, other end of the line rather. And if you want any info about anything we talked about, uh, today, 
You can check out the show notes that Henry mentioned. Those are below hyperlinks to all sorts of stuff, articles on Gear Patrol and uh, elsewhere, some product links, that kind of stuff. And you can, of course, always find all the information on gearpatrol.com. Uh, if you like the podcast, and I know you do, you know you do, so let's just get it over with and subscribe and drop a five-star review so we can keep uh, the pod going uh, as uh, successfully and with as much fun as we do currently. And uh, also reach out to us. Let us know what you think of the pod. If you have questions, comments, uh, you want to add to the discourse, you can hit us up on social media, our handle everywhere is gear patrol it's one word or you can email us at podcast at gearpatrol.com uh, so that's it for today's episode guys thanks again for being here jd henry always a pleasure 100 percent of the time thanks for having me again man likewise it. and for gear patrol i'm nick caruso until next time take care <laughs>